0: Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's message of the week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Without further ado, let's dive into week five of this series of the Great Commissioning, looking at Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 28. Um, We have been here already four weeks. We're we're going very slowly through this passage uh, and we're going to read the next installment today. So let's um, read these words together. If you've got your Bible, we're reading Matthew 28 verses 16 through to 20. We're reading from the NIV um, and this is what it says. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Again, I think we've said it every week. It's so reassuring, isn't it? They're standing before the resurrected Lord Jesus, who they've seen do countless miracles, yet still there is this uh, challenge for them. And so in our own waveringness, there's a great comfort here that even those closest to Jesus as he walked the earth worshipped and occasionally doubted. And yet it doesn't stop Jesus commissioning them in the words to come. Because Jesus comes to them, verse 18, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And today we're looking at these words in verse 20 teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I don't know about you, but there's a word in that verse that I struggle with sometimes. A little four letter word begins with O, ends in bay, and it just gets me somewhere inside. And uh, I think it, if we're honest, it probably gets all of us somewhere inside. And so I want to take just a few minutes. At the beginning of this message, to talk about some of the reasons why I might react to the word obey and you can come with me if you like, or you can just leave me outside on my own as I bear my soul to you and talk about the world that I live in and its effects on me and the reality is that there are many different generations represented at Hope Church. Uh, for some of you, you might not recognize fully the picture of the world I'm about to depict, uh, but I do honestly believe it's a picture of the world we live in for some of you. You'll be from a different cultural background. We have people who tune in from around the world. And again, uh, it might not quite be that your culture is the same as I'm about to describe. But the reality is, I think, that for those of us in the West, uh, particularly of my kind of generation, although it does affect all the generations, we live in a cultural moment that idolizes our desires. And so to go against your heart, to go against your desires, is unthinkable. Uh, The the mantra almost of our age is you can do anything if you set your mind to it, which seems to me to be a very unfair lie that the world we live in pedals. But if you wanna do it, then it must be good and noble for you to follow it. The culture we live in, it tells us that your desires define you. I am what I want. And that's borne out in many different ways. So why, living in this culture, would you ever not do what your heart is telling you to do? Recognise this? Not just me. Uh, it comes with another force as well, which says, who are you to ever question somebody else's desires? You know, there's even a word for that. You are erasing who they are if you say that someone shouldn't follow their desires. You'll see it banded around in cultural commentary because who you are is what you desire. It's no longer Descartes, I think, therefore I am. It's I want, therefore I am. We live in a world that has so prized the individual, so enthroned uh, my individual autonomy that my desires are sacred. And so the word obey just nibbles away inside at me and I don't really like it very much. It cuts against the thrust of the water that I swim in, if you like the analogy. There's a second element to this too. We live in a cultural moment that is also questioning if power can ever be virtuous. Can power ever be used for good? Think about every time you've heard an existing power structure mentioned in the news recently and then tell me if any of them were good because they're not (laughs) the way we present existing power structures in our world is that they are bad the noble thing to do is actually to resist power if you submit to an existing power authority then you're probably naive or complicit Next time you watch a series on TV, or you watch a film, or you read a book or an opinion piece online or in the newspaper, because they still exist, uh, I can almost guarantee you that you will see both of these two cultural forces, I am what I want, and power is always bad, uh, underpinning whatever you watch or read. The hero of the story will fight against established power. They will follow their heart and win out at the end of the day. Your desires define you. Existing power structures are to be resisted. Uh, And we see this really playing out in full force when you realise that barely a day goes past without more historic abuses of power coming to light. I don't remember the last time I turned on the news and didn't hear another story of some toxic or domineering leadership that forced obedience through fear and shame. Uh, And the church is not uh, escaping this in any way, shape or form. It's happening across the world in all kinds of churches. There are stories coming out about forced obedience using the power of fear and shame. Uh, Stories just from this week. There was the story of the police force covering up the Hillsborough disaster that has just come out and they've settled again. Uh, with the victims of that tragedy. Uh, There's been stories this week again of football coaches and priests abusing children in their care. There's the ongoing rumblings of the Me Too movement, which highlights the way that men have used power to control women over decades and centuries. So is it any surprise if this is what I am hearing and seeing on a day-to-day basis That when I come to the Bible and I read the word obey, I feel a little bit unsettled. And it's really worth us just recognizing and acknowledging this as we come to the passage today, that this uh, very short section that we've read, it fights against the current of the river that we live in. But there's a further aspect. It's not just the culture that we're fighting right now. It's not just our cultural moment, which is very anti what Jesus is speaking here. But we also have an enemy who lies to us. And Tim Keller puts it like this. Um, Tim Keller is my go to for eloquence on this topic. Um, Again and again, he uh, just outstanding. Oh, oh, this one. Uh, The lie. Beneath every sin is, if you obey God, you'll miss out. If you obey God, he doesn't love you like you love yourself. He's not as concerned for your goodness and well-being as you are. Therefore, sometimes you have to disobey. That's the lie underneath every sin. You are impugning the goodness of God. You're doubting that God is in any way as good as he says. The unsettling effect of the word obey stems largely from the way the enemy and the world around us questions, doubts, and undermines the absolute and utter goodness of God. If we were utterly convinced, that God was good and trustworthy and faithful, and that he cared about our well-being and our good, then we wouldn't hesitate to obey. The word obey in this sentence wouldn't rattle against my consciousness at all. Underneath every sin is a doubting of the goodness of God. When the word obey just jars, it's because sometimes we struggle to truly believe that God is as good as he says he is. Yet, friends, Jesus does say obey. Jesus does say, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Why? Why does he say it? Well, three reasons. First reason is this. Jesus didn't just come to give people a future spiritual salvation. He came to establish an alternative kingdom that would grow, that would be different to the world around it and would one day be complete. Being a Christian isn't about saying a prayer and tacking some church activity into our already busy lives. No, becoming a Christian is about accepting an invitation into a revolution. You you read the history of the church and you realise that this is again and again the thrust of what the the great men and women of faith have called for and pursued with everything inside them. It's it's a revolution uh, over and against the culture of their day. Because the kingdom of Jesus challenges every earthly kingdom. The kingdom of Jesus is different to every earthly kingdom. Our cultural moment jars with the teaching of Jesus because Jesus' teaching is set against it in many, many ways. This is the root of Jesus' teaching about salt and light. About being different. To follow Jesus is to live differently, part of a different kingdom, a new kingdom, to serve A new king. Friends, Jesus talks about obedience because he's establishing a new kingdom that is transforming the world and which one day will have completely transformed the world. It's not just a ticket to heaven. Second thing Jesus is talking about here when he's talking about obey is it's not the way to heaven. It's that following Jesus is the way to life. Eternal life begins now. And as the author of life, he has shown us what is best. So following Jesus means we we do what he did. We love like he loved. It's fascinating that the world that we live in doesn't really have an issue with Jesus. They like the way that he loved. They like a lot of what he did. Being a Christian, it's not just about this big picture of transforming the world. There's also a personal invitation to a way of life, which is designed for our good and for the common good. It's the way of Jesus. It's funny the, the name Christian, which we own naturally today, it started as a term of insult. It was derogatory. People turned their noses up. It, it means little Christs. <laughs> Look at those little Christs. <laughs> little Jesus is walking around being like Jesus. No, no, that's what we do. We're Christians, we're little Jesuses. We follow the way of Jesus, it's who we are, it's how life is designed to be. Yes, it transforms the world, but it also is the true fullness of life. Uh, and thirdly, Jesus here is teaching obey everything I have commanded you because. He knows that there is a relationship between heart change and action that flows in both directions. What do I mean by that? I am absolutely committed to the truth that as we respond in faith to Jesus, our heart of stone is transformed by his grace into a heart of flesh. In that moment, our heart is changed. In that moment, we are different people. We are born again by faith through grace. And our new heart that God gives us loves God, and it is inscribed with his will. It says, the law will be written on your hearts of flesh, the promise of the Old Testament in Ezekiel 36. But Jesus here, he talks about obedience because sometimes we need to take action to see that our hearts have been changed. We don't realize it until we do it. And sometimes Taking action is part of the ongoing way that God changes our hearts. It creates the opportunity for for us to to act in faith. uh, And then we look back and we go, wow, I knew you were good. God, I knew you were good. I wasn't sure, but I I followed you, Jesus, and I, I knew you were good. Saw a quote recently by Chris Vallotton which sums this up nicely. Being kind when you don't feel like it isn't hypocrisy, it's nobility. Being kind when you don't feel like it isn't hypocrisy, it's nobility. If I only ever wait, Until kindness so fills my heart to be kind to people, I will not be doing as Jesus did. I will not be loving as Jesus loved. Yet I know that I am called to be kind. And as I am kind, I see the good it does. And I say, I knew you were good. It's a noble action born out of faith. Sometimes I've thought that it's just it's enough that my heart has been supernaturally changed as I've accepted Jesus. Sometimes I've thought all I need to do is stand in his presence and I will be continually changed. Friends, my heart has been changed as I accepted Jesus. As I stand in his presence, it is changed. Thanks be to God. Yet here Jesus is telling us that in addition to these two truths, sometimes we obey in faith without feeling it because He's shown us what is good. And we will find that it is good. Let me be super clear. It isn't that we obey to be accepted. That's salvation by works. It isn't Christianity. God graciously accepts us on the basis of his love. We are saved by faith alone. It isn't even that we obey. To improve our relationship with God, obedience doesn't cause God to love us anymore. His grace accepts us completely and utterly as we are. We don't curry any extra favour with God by obeying. (laughs) His delight is already in us, He has accepted us in the fullness of grace given us the full measure of his love. There is no more that he has to give, friends. It's good news. But here's the best news about grace. It refuses to leave us as we are. <laughs> he welcomes us as we are, but he refuses to leave us as we are. Grace leads us to transforming obedience. Friends, really, this whole message is an invitation It's an invitation to throw off the limitations and shackles of our cultural moment and to embrace Jesus and his invitation to have life and life in all its fullness. If we follow the current of our culture, we will end up away from Jesus. If we turn our ear to him and we follow the way of Jesus, we will end up near And the words in our lips will be, I knew you were good, again and again and again. Friends, he is good. He loves us more than our heart or our head can ever grasp. Mm -hmm. He is more passionate about our good than we could ever be. Because he knows what is good. You know, this is why in our cultural values series, Earlier in the year, the first one was God first. Our first value that we want to live by is that God is first. He loved us first while we were far from him. We'd done nothing, nothing to merit anything from God at all, yet he loved us. And in his love, he came to us in Jesus to rescue us and to show us what life could truly be. This love that he's shown us. It answers every question and doubt of his goodness. Whenever we doubt his goodness, we have a ready answer in Jesus. Our response to his love for us is we put him first because he first loved us. We put him first. We put him first in our hearts as we worship uh, individually and together. We put him first in our priorities as we make decisions, we put him first in our lives as we choose to follow Jesus. It's why grace is the central value of these five. It, it's the grace that accepts us as we are, but refuses to leave us there. It's grace that transforms. It's not cheap grace. It's not grace that means you can do whatever you want know no, It's a grace that so grips our hearts that we can never get away. It's why word and spirit are bolted slightly awkwardly together as two words in one, because we so trust his word given to us in the scriptures that we want to follow the way he has not only laid out for us in the words of scripture, but that Jesus himself lived as a model and example for us. The spirit brings those words alive as we read them and we choose to accept Yeah, no, God is good and I will follow the way. Of Jesus. And it's why legacy is the final one. We're not just living for a private personal salvation as our culture might want us to do. No, we're living for the transformation of the world as the kingdom of God makes everything that it touches beautiful. Friends, again, this Message today is an invitation to throw off the limitations and shackles of our cultural moment and to embrace Jesus and his invitation to have life and life in all fullness. It's an invitation to be in a way like the men of Issachar in 1 Chronicles 12. The men of Issachar, they understood the times and they knew therefore what to do. We have to be alert and aware to the cultural pressure on us, the water that we swim in. And we know, therefore, how to resist the current and stay close to Jesus. And when Jesus calls his friends to obedience, it isn't coercive. It's not abusive. He doesn't control us. He doesn't use shame or fear. Friends, love compels us. We've seen his love for us. We've experienced by the Spirit his love for us. It's caused a love for him in us. And so we follow the way of Jesus. We keep his commandments. Jesus is working throughout the world for the glorious transformation of creation. He's inviting us to take part in the revolution He's inviting us to lay hold of true life in him. He is highlighting the path to ongoing heart change as we grow in love and trust of God. If you wish that you weren't quite the way you are in some ways, Jesus here lays out a path to be more like him. As we act, our hearts are changed. Just like our hearts have been changed and now we act differently. It's a two directional relationship. So we're going to go into breakout rooms now, Beth. And uh, and when we come back, we're going to worship together. But uh, let me just pray for us as we go. Father, we thank you that you are good. 100% good. There's no shadow in your faithfulness. Your heart is truly for our good. And we pray, Lord, that today, again, we would have revelation in our hearts of just how much you love us. Lord, we pray for revelation in our hearts of of where your love is working in our lives today, where you're calling for life change, uh, where you are helping us live differently than perhaps we have in the past. Father, I pray, come by your spirit, uh, equip and empower us as we talk this over and pray for one another in our breakout rooms.